This is C-SPAN's The Weekly. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. As the nation continues to deal with the coronavirus pandemic, some states are now gradually beginning to reopen parts of their economy. But other states, especially in the Northeast, the Mid-Atlantic, and along the West Coast, continue to have strict stay-at-home orders at least for the next couple of weeks. We are learning this process is not a one-size-fits-all approach. It is varying state by state. Joining us from Arlington, Virginia, is Dr. Charmaine Yost. She has been looking into all of this. Her background, she worked in the Office of Personnel during the Reagan administration and more recently served as the Assistant Secretary in the Department of Health and Human Services during the first year of the Trump administration. She is now a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation and the co-chair of that think tank's Coronavirus Task Force. Dr. Yost, let me begin with the states and their approach. What is your recommendation? Well, Steve, thanks so much for having me today. This is definitely a challenging time for everyone. But we are starting, as time has gone by, to know a little bit more about this virus and a little bit more about how to tackle it. And what we're finding is that there is a real disparate impact of how the virus is affecting different communities. And, there, you know, that's good news and bad news, of course. The bad news is it makes it more complicated to... Um, to chart out the path forward. But the good news is, is that there are plenty of communities across the country who are not being hit as hard as some of the places like our friends in New York and New Orleans and um, some of the communities in Arizona, for example. There are about 50% of American counties that have 10 cases or fewer, as high as 40% have five or fewer cases. So when you look at it from that perspective, this gives you a roadmap for how we move forward to getting our economy back up and running so that we don't have to be shut down across the entire country. And so with the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission that uh, that I've been working with, the commissioners are recommending to state and local leaders that they take a look at their own communities and make a county-by-county county assessment. You know, you mentioned mentioned Virginia, for example. We we have a statewide shutdown order right now. But if you look carefully at Virginia, as you know, in northern Virginia, where um, in the area that you and I are, in in the the tri-state area of Maryland, D.C., Northern Virginia, that's a pretty hard hit area. There's a, there's a fair number of cases here. But if you look down in southwest Virginia, for example, they're not having as much of a problem. So. It's not just states that need to make a decision, but they need to make decisions within states that can be um, can account for differing levels of of urban versus rural and and how the how the virus is affecting those areas. We should point out the website is coronaviruscommission.com, part of the Heritage Foundation. Disproportionately, minorities and low income Americans have been hit especially hard. Why? They really have, and this is something that I think is policymakers are going to have to start paying more attention to. Um, it, it's it's really quite stunning. A report came out just this last week. They did a study down in Georgia and found um, that of this particular study, eighty percent, eighty percent of those affected were minorities. Well, you know that's just really stunning. I haven't seen anybody who has a specific answer. You know, there's, as with any kind of um, public health situation, there are complexities. Um, there's obviously the, the question of comorbidities and do certain communities have higher rates of 
um, certain kinds of things that make them more susceptible. I mentioned a little earlier, I've just this morning been looking at the incident map of the United States, and it's really stunning when you see how hard hit Arizona is. And yet we know there's a lot of Native American um, populations there that um, for for multiple reasons are also being hit hit harder. So this is something we have to pay attention to. It kind of feeds into the broader question of it's not just place that is helping us to figure out how to move forward. It's also people. I think of it as people and places. We know now that people over 65, people with comorbidities, meaning they've got multiple kinds of health challenges, these people are much more vulnerable to the virus. And so if we, instead of having this very broad brush, okay, everybody's at risk approach, if we start really focusing in on and saying, okay, we know that nursing homes are particularly vulnerable. We know that people in prison are vulnerable. Um, Anywhere you have groups of people like that, that's a dynamic that from a public health perspective, we have to be paying attention to. So focusing in on on the kinds of people who are being particularly threatened by the virus and then the specific places, that helps to start bringing to focus this roadmap of how we move forward. As you know, Dr. Anthony Fauci has warned states that if governors open too quickly, we're going to be right back where we are at this moment. And so as you look at states like Tennessee, Georgia and Florida, what will you be looking for? Well, what one of the particular factors that everyone is focused on is rate of growth of incident. And so that's one of the factors that the commission has highlighted as something that local leadership should be paying attention to. It's not just your discrete number of cases that you currently have. It's what is what is your trajectory looking like? Is it slowing? Is it accelerating? Is it decelerating? Obviously, if the, if the rate of increase of cases is going down, it's a positive sign. Um, but at the same time, if in a particular community um, there's a decision made to open up and then you start seeing an increase, obviously you're going to have to tack in a different direction and, um, and say, okay, you know, how can we tighten this up in terms of public, public health approaches? I mean, you know, Steve, you and I were already seeing so many changes on the ground went to the grocery last night for the first time in weeks and you know you, you they asked you not to come in if you didn't have a mask on um it, it just since the last time i had been there there were some very very significant changes in terms of traffic flow within the within the store there are things that we can do that can equip people that can um empower if you will give us give us a way to get outside our homes in a safer way um because over time we have to have approaches that work for people like that we're talking with Dr. Charmaine Yost from the Heritage Foundation, and that seems to be the new norm as we move into the summer. Well, absolutely. Um, it, you know, it, it seems it seems almost too uh, too simple to to be talking about masks. But as with anything in life, you know, when when we're when we're teaching our children, you know, start with the simple things, right? Start with the things that you know you can do. Um, I have kind of ruefully joked with some people that all of our grandmothers are being uh, vindicated now at this point. You know, <laughs> wash your hands, wear the mask, don't 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 shake hands uh, routinely. There's some very simple things that may not seem like in and of themselves all that significant but when we put them all together they're tools that enable us to move back towards not the normal that we were used to but a new normal 
You're the mother of five from high school to college to those in the workforce. And I'm sure they're saying, Mom, when are things going to get back to normal? Ah, were you listening in on our conversations? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, all parents, right? And and I've had multiple conversations with my kids where I'm like, look, be patient with me. We're we are all in this together. We're all trying to figure out what the best approach is. And I think that's one thing that has been good about this process, although it's been very difficult for everyone to kind of sort through things. Um, there has been good community. You mentioned Dr. Fauci and uh, Dr. Burks. Um, those are two public health professionals who've been giving some very clear public health messages. And I think it's been actually encouraging and inspiring to see Americans banding together uh, to help one another to um, to adapt to to this. To me, that's, that's inspiring and um, encouraging to see the stories of of families who are, um, yesterday there was a story going around of um, a man who's an essential worker, I believe he was a truck driver doing deliveries, and there was a picture showing him standing on the other side of a glass door communicating in sign language to his daughter who had mus- muscular dystrophy. Um, you know, he self-isolated himself from his family in order to protect his daughter who obviously is in a higher risk category. Um, These are things that Americans are adapting to. And as we move forward, I have a lot of confidence that that kind of um, community spirit is what is going to sustain us and get us through this. But I wonder, Dr. Yost, about the patience of Americans. We have been dealing with this now for just a couple of months. And I'm reminded of our parents and grandparents who lived through more than a decade of the Great Depression only to be followed by World War II and wonder what they went through and their patience and their perseverance. You know, that's a great word. I'm intrigued by your use of the word patience. On the one hand, uh, people are becoming impatient and um, in the sense that if we if we take that word to its extreme and say that people are impatient and are going to make rash decisions, obviously that's not a good thing. I'd kind of want to take it and look at it through the lens of impatience in the sense that Americans are always the kind of people who are driving towards a solution, driving towards ingenuity. Um, That kind of impatience is a good thing. And that's why I continue to be optimistic, because when you look at the amazing mobilization that has seen Americans not be facing the shortages of ventilators that was originally predicted. Um, the flood of personal protective devices, the the masks, the um, you know, at my store last night, but there there was there was paper towel. You know, I mean, it, it's not not to gloss over that there have been difficulties and challenges, but I do see us rising to those challenges and having that impatience to tackle those and find find ways through. I think that um, you're going to see the same thing on the scientific side of things with um, hopefully finding solutions in vaccines and treatments faster than um, than the most than the most pessimistic prognosis prognosis might have us uh, be concerned about. And who would think that paper towels and Lysol disinfectant would be such a hot commodity these days? Right, exactly. <laughs> I've gone old school back to the Ajax of my childhood, and to me, that that's the smell of clean for me. Informing the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission, the president of the Heritage Foundation, Kay James, said the challenge is to balance a physically healthy America with an economically strong America. So how do you strike that balance? How do you get there? 
Well, I'm really glad you asked that question because that was really the impetus behind forming the commission and bringing together the 17 different experts from across a wide variety of um, expertise issues um, to think about just that question of how you move both a concern for health and a concern for the economy forward together because you can't do one without the other. Right now we're looking at 30 million Americans unemployed across this country and that's an untenable situation. We, we can't stay um, in that spot for too long because that has health ramifications for people. You know, one of, the, one of the factors that we've been looking at on the commission that's been very troubling is just this last week, uh, the University of Virginia Health System announced that they were having to furlough some people and, and, and do pay cuts within their health system because they were not at capacity, because people have been deferring um, their their routine health care or and, and not even just routine. Some people having, um, you know, needing to have checkups for 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 health conditions like like heart and cancer and very, very serious illnesses. So we've got to find a way to move both of these factors forward. And that's why we keep saying it's got to be something at the local level that um, that addresses the actual um, factors on the ground. There are some hospital systems who are being underutilized right now. We w- went through a period where we were really battening down the hatches and saying we can't have a health system that is completely overwhelmed. Now we're in a situation where some of them are not being utilized to capacity, and we've got to get back to making sure that people are having their um, having their the full spectrum of their health care taken care of. One of the analogies I heard in terms of the economy, Dr. Yost, is you're traveling down I-95, 65, 70 miles per hour, and then you suddenly stop. You don't even slow down. You simply stop. And so my question is, economically, is there a roadmap or is this totally uncharted territory in terms of dealing with how the economy is going to begin to recover? Wow, that's amazing you, you would use that analogy because I actually personally myself, uh, when I was when I was younger, was in an accident like that. Uh, someone stopped dead in the middle of the road and uh, ended up with a, I was in the middle of a 40 car, car pileup oh as my. a result of that. Yeah, it was uh, uh, an amazing situation, but you're right. The physics of coming to a dead stop when the traffic is, is flying by, um, and that's where that's that's the American economy, right? Um, we we can restart by looking at individual elements of the economy, and frankly, you're you're already seeing the fact that you have essential businesses that are still ongoing. FedEx just dropped off a package um, at, at my home earlier today. FedEx and other companies like them, they are finding ways to protect their workforce in the midst of this. And there are a lot of lessons to be learned about how to move forward, and um, and that's what we're going to have to do. As you look at sectors of the economy, those among the hardest hit, tourism, travel, conventions, business travel, how do they get off the ground? Well, that's why you're having to see um, – you know these 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 bridge loans and um, and and grants and other kinds of approaches from the federal government. Um, 
we, we do have to look at some of the hardest hit people and say, you know, how do we help them get through this situation? Look, it, all of us know that in even in your personal life, if if you if you hit a crisis and you know it's only going to be 30 days, you can you can figure it out. Right. It's the uncertainty that is crippling businesses right now. They don't know whether they need to reorganize their finances for 30 days or is it 60 or is it 90? Um, so we have to be finding ways to um, to to provide stability and to help people get through this uncertain time. We, we've been emphasizing, you know, the, the congressional approach with paycheck protection of wanting to find ways to keep people connected to the workforce so that it's easier to restart if people haven't actually lost their jobs. But listen, at the end, um, having an actual paycheck rather than um, the, rather than a temporary fix is is what we what we need to be moving towards. And so, continuing to say yes, there are ways forward of opening up some sectors of the economy um, a little at a time is the way to go because we can't stay um, in the in the place that we're in right now. In this day of social isolation, what are the mechanics of the commission? How are you meeting? Is it Zoom teleconferences? How's all that working? We we are in the new normal of of using all the technology. We've 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 got a, a secure video conferencing platform that we've been using, like like many other people. And um, so, I mean, this is going to be a, a fascinating dynamic as the economy moves forward. Um, in terms of what is it that we hold on to that are habits and new ways of doing business that, you know, propel us into the next phase of, of what comes next. And I think some of the work at home um, and remote technologies are going to be a real creative dynamic moving forward. You worked in the Trump administration, the Department of Health and Human Services. What has this White House done right? And what lessons can we take away if we deal with another pandemic moving forward? Well, let me let me start with, uh, I appreciate you focusing on the positive because I think it's really important in a time of crisis like this to, to be constructive about what we're looking at. One of the things that the Heritage Foundation um, is known for and that we were writing about even before the pandemic was the need to be looking at overregulation. And one of the problems that has come to light, um, obviously there's been a lot of talk about the slow slow start on the testing front of things. One of the things that the administration, they got hung up on, regulations that were a problem and contributed to not being as fast out of the box as they should have been, but they have addressed that, have been looking at regulations, pulling regulations back that have um, slowed down recovery. And one of the parts of we'll be releasing um, an interim report from the commission this coming week, and people will be able to find that on coronaviruscommission.com. Thank you for mentioning that, by the way. Um, And one of the things that we focus in on is the fact that there are specific regulations that the federal government can be looking at that make it easier for um, for, um, businesses to move forward. And we we think that's really essential. Do you think, though, this pandemic has changed the way Americans view the role of the federal government? Well, you know, I hope so. I think that's a really great question, because if anything, this has really illustrated the genius of the American system, right? America is a very, very large country. Um, we have found ourselves in a position of needing to remind remind people that, you know, some of our states are as large as the European countries, right? And so having the strength of governors and mayors and local leaders 
to form a network of political leadership across the country. I think it's been inspiring to see these governors um, of, of both political parties stepping up to show leadership for their people. And when you have something like this that has national slash international impact, but disparate impact, not affecting every every um, every place the same way, having having federalist um, political systems has has been really come into clarity as one of the one of the great strengths of the American system. And again, not to point fingers, but for the states and for Washington, are there things that administration officials, governors could have done differently that we could apply if and when we face this situation down the road beyond regulation that you talked about a moment ago? Well, I think I think it's a little too early right now to know do the woulda, coulda, shoulda, um, because we're still in the middle of it. Um, we're, we are still, we still need to keep our head up and looking to how we move forward constructively and prudentially. Um, it, it's, it's, um, it, it's going to be a sober summer as we move forward into the next phase of this. I think there's going to, going to come a time when we want to look back and say, you know, how can, how can we have done this differently? I will say, you mentioned the fact that I, I was, was at HHS in the first year of the administration. I was there when we had um, three hurricanes hit back to back to back. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, absolutely. And it, yeah, I mean, anytime you're in a crisis like this, it's tough. It is it is hard to mobilize the resources um, in in a constructive way, and I think it, I think it will be helpful when we look look back. Certainly, um, th- throughout history, there have been pandemics like this. We we just haven't seen one like this in our lifetime. So um, certainly, that's going to be um, a big part of what we what we need to do coming out of this crisis is looking forward. And when you say sober summer, I'm assuming that you're realizing that life is not going to change until we get a vaccine. And according to Dr. Fauci, we're probably a year, maybe 18 months away. And so what about the fall and winter? And how are you applying the lessons that you're learning now through this commission moving ahead, both with the economy and with the health and safety of Americans? Well, I think that that's why it's important to emphasize what we do know. Um, because you're entirely right. Um, one of the most powerful things that um, has come out of working uh, on the commission, from my perspective, is looking at, you know, everybody's had such a learning curve and learning about what epidemiologists work with all the time uh, of flattening the curve, right? Well, I, I think it's been inspiring how much Americans have worked together to pull the peak of that curve down. But at the end of the day, Pulling the peak of the curve down still leaves you all of that area. It flattens it out, but it elongates it. And so that's the reality that we're having to come to grips with now is that underneath the curve is where the vaccine lives, where the, um, where the treatments live. That's, we've, we've got to fill in that space, and that's where the American ingenuity um, and that, you know, just the curve. You know, we're, we're going to have to show courage as a country, courage and ingenuity to find ways to address that. And so putting together all the different pieces of, of public health approaches that, that we've learned is how we give ourselves the time to address that, of wearing the masks when we go outside, of, of being very careful with public hygiene, and, and, and then doing it at an individual level.
you talk about the lessons learned. What has surprised you the most? And as you talk to your fellow commissioners, as you go through this process, you've been meeting now for well over a month. So if I can take the word surprise and and, and turn it into just gratification maybe is looking at, you know, the story that I mentioned earlier about the man and his daughter, you know, that story is replicated thousands of times every day across the entire country. You know, I mentioned the FedEx driver, um, you know, he's, he's there doing his job despite the fact that other people are sheltering in place, right? Our grocery stores are, you know, when I went to the grocery last night, there, there were, there were paper towels there. You know, America is an amazing place in terms of the integrity and courage of of our people. Um, the fact that truck drivers have been keeping our supply lines going. The individual heroism of so many people across this country in the face of this crisis that none of us have ever seen the like of before is absolutely inspiring and something that I will um, continue to take um, take heart from and and remember really my, my whole life. And Dr. Yost, let me go to an analogy that a lot of people have been using with this current crisis, referring to what we witnessed 19 years ago on 9-11. The difference, though, is that as tragic as 9-11 was, it affected the psyche of Americans. We were able to move on with our lives. This crisis has impacted every single American one way or another. And so my question is, do you think this will leave an indelible mark on Americans? You know, Steve, that's a really good question. And I think the answer is absolutely it will. And I think one of the biggest dangers coming out of this crisis, specifically related to the virus, is the fact that it does, you know, this whole idea of social distancing, right? The fact that instead of being able to go out into the streets and wave the flag and and, and have parades and have people coming together, as we ordinarily do in crises, um, we're being told, no, stay away from each other. And, and I think that's a particularly difficult psychological dynamic that we're all trying to find ways to cope with. And so for me, another element of inspiration, though, is seeing how our community institutions have rallied in the face of that. You look at churches across the country, um, so many of them trying to figure out how to do their ministry and how to continue worshiping and bringing people together in the face of not being able to physically get together. But you see them finding a way and people are going online and having services online and using social media to connect with each other. And that to me is encouraging. And it, it, I think that will have a long-term impact as people continue to maintain those levels of con- connection, even once we get past the critical point. Dr. Charmaine Yost is the co-chair of the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission. More details available at heritage.org. She is joining us from her home in Arlington, Virginia. We thank you for being with us. Thank you, Steve. And a reminder, you can listen to this podcast on the web at cspan.org slash podcasts or wherever you download your favorite podcast. And don't forget to rate and review us. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. We thank you for listening.